This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. You have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not having fun doing it, you're going to give up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John. And this episode's guest is Rory, the vocalist of Dayseeker. Um, this was a a really interesting timed one for me. Um, I was supposed to have seen the band when they were here in town uh, with the word alive and was trying to do some podcasts with Telly, get him back on the show uh, and Rory and, and kind of do some in-persons possibly. And I ended up having to work, so I wasn't able to go. Uh, my wife ended up going with a, a friend of ours and I was really bummed because by all accounts, it was a great show. And it was funny because then, you know, we ended up setting up the chat with Rory uh, once the tour was over. And, you know, again, I've kind of been talking a little bit about how, you know, I don't really listen to the music and I try not to make these about the albums that are coming out because then it just feels like the same press junket cycle of things like tell me about this song or whatever. Um, but as you'll kind of hear me end up saying and, and talking to Rory, the, this this album really, really hit me and I wasn't expecting it. And it was just kind of at a moment, I think, for me where... um. I just turned 38 um, as of when I'm recording this, probably about like a week and a half ago. And it was one of those things where my birthday is always kind of bittersweet. And I've never really talked about this publicly, but um, it's something I'm trying to do more, reveal more of myself and, and kind of tell you a little bit more about me and my experiences. But um, so I have a brother who was born. Uh, we were born the same day, two years apart. And it was one of those things where I was the older sibling. He had passed away. Uh, when I was two and he was not even a year old uh, due to sudden infant death syndrome. So my birthday always becomes sort of this reminder of, of celebration of my own life um, as well as the life that doesn't exist anymore. Um, this has caused a lot of interesting thoughts, uh, thinking points as I've gotten older. Um, you know, morning someone that I don't have any memories of. I have no ties to, no connection to really, but it's still, it's, it's family. It's my brother. Um, 
and it's also interesting because it's it makes me think about my parents and what they went through. Uh, you know, obviously having a, a kid and having one born with all the the birth defects and so forth, and a lot of the complications that came with you know my cleft lip and palate and a lot of other stuff, and being told that I wasn't going to make it and then having basically a perfectly healthy kid literally born on the same day, two years apart and, you know, having to deal with the loss of a child and life and death and the, and the grand scope of, of, uh, you know, the beginning circle of life really, I guess. And then I get the day seeker record that's not out yet. It is coming out uh, soonish. And there's kind of a lot of those themes that play on this record. And, thinking sort of, you know, about the sudden loss uh, for Rory of his dad and how I've experienced that. And I just had anniversaries of my uncle and, and a close friend of mine who had passed away within a week of each other. And it just was one of those things where this album really kind of hit me at a point where it's a lot of loss. It's a lot of introspection. It's a lot of, honestly, at times, guilt. Um... Because I feel, at times I feel like maybe I'm I'm wasting the opportunities I have or, or the experience of life when others were robbed of it. And I finally made it through the record right before talking with Rory. I was literally walking my dog as you'll hear, which is what started the whole conversation between us. But it uh, it was a record that I, I I enjoyed, but it was a struggle to get through because I just, I wasn't expecting lyrically an album to kind of touch on so many things I was going through. And I really do hope that when people listen to this record, I, I hope it does do what I say at the end. And, and it, it allows you to kind of feel all the things, the the anger, the sadness, the the hopefulness, the 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 everything, the gamut of everything you run through when when you're dealing with loss and, and tragedies, but also the things that, you know, inspire us to keep going and, and keep moving forward and, and the the joys of living, I guess. I don't mean to be such a Debbie Downer in the intro to this this wonderful chat with Rory. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Rory of Dayseeker. I'll talk to you on the other side of it. <laughs> I have learned, and I hit record, by the way, because it's this is more of just a conversation than like a. So tell me about your record. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 funny because like there are people who I think have have had dogs and then kids or vice versa, and I and I do think like having not had a kid but seeing and talking to a lot of people, they're like there are a lot of similarities because like I know like my wife and I like to travel and like it's one of those things where sometimes you're like I'm sad that like I have to like take my dog and go take her somewhere or go do something and like the separation of like man I don't have I don't see her I don't get to see like you know my dog every day I don't get to kind of love on her and all that kind of stuff but then you're also kind of like 
but I get to sleep in and I don't have to go on a million walks today or however long the vacation is. But then like, you'll see a dog or something like that, or at least I do. And I'm like, Oh, can I pet your dog? Cause like, I haven't had like pets today and I need to get that quota filled kind of. So it's kind yeah. of weird how like your whole life kind of revolves around, uh, <clears throat> around kids and pets, I think. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how much it really does take over your life. If you're a good. Yeah. Parent, I mean, yeah. Having a, yeah, I will say having a, a human being is a lot, it's a lot harder for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, my daughter well, now, I mean, she's like a year and a half and like she was, she was just the easiest baby up until like two months ago. And now it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> now she's, she's, she's a sweet kid, but she is just like, I just, I feel like the terrible twos are like a very real thing that are coming at me pretty hard, but yeah. My wife and I have been joking that our, our dog is entering the, the teens, the, the like teens of, I don't give a fuck about you guys. I love everyone else and want to hang out with everyone, but you, and it's just like, man, if this is really like what having a kid's like, fuck this. Like I give you food. (laughs) I walk you like I do all these things for you. Now you just like want nothing to do with me. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess it's kind of a good launching off point uh, to to sort of talk about some of the, the things on the record and, and kind of in the press release that I thought were interesting talking points. Um, obviously, since the last record, you know, you, you've had a kid and it's I mean, especially the way that, you know, the album closes and so forth. Uh, I feel like there's. Um, I don't want to call it a duality necessarily, but just. I, I guess it kind of is that, um, you know, the, the, where one life kind of ends, another begins, you know, your uh, my yeah. timeline might be a little wrong, but it's like, you know, you had lost your dad and then it seems like somewhere like right around the same time as the birth of your daughter. And I feel like those are such two extremes to go through in one's life of, uh, the loss of a parent and then kind of now becoming a parent yourself. Um, without, I guess, being too dark right out the gate, I mean, kind of explain a little bit of that. Cause I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that's just so monumental and just such two life changing things to happen to you in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, my, my daughter was a big, uh, she was a big surprise. Um, the, the mother only found out she was pregnant when she was like eight months into her, uh, oh, wow. into her term. And then, uh, by the time she called to tell me, uh, we thought we had a month and then my daughter was born three days later. So for, for her and for I, it was, it was both like a really big life shift in a couple of days. And my, thankfully my, my dad was actually still, uh, he was still alive when my, when that whole thing happened and everything, but it, it was very like, I've talked about it on stage a lot during our, our uh, concerts and stuff that it was like, it was like the peak of my life. And then like, the worst part of my life in just a couple of months. Cause I think like, uh, I think like a month or two months after my daughter was born, um, my dad's like diagnosis with cancer wasn't looking great, but we got like a very firm, like he has probably like four to six months left to live. And so it was just kind of, uh, but you also, I think like, I mean, maybe it was like denial, but I think like, I was like, Oh my dad's so stubborn. Like he's gonna like, he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna live like, his my grandma it was like the same thing where they were like she's gonna die any day now and then she hung on for like a year and a half or something so i i just assumed like 
in the same like genetics that my dad would be the exact same way. So when they said like six months, I was like, he's going to live another like two years or something. And then it was pretty much like, it was pretty much dead on. I think they told us that in like January and he, he passed in July. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was, um, I mean, I think the silver lining is, is that like, I, I had always wanted to have kids and I, before my daughter's like surprise birth, I was very kind of accepting of like, like I wasn't meeting anybody and I wasn't planning to have kids with anybody. So I was very much kind of like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to have a kid while he's alive. Like there's no way. So it was, it was very bittersweet, but I'm also very thankful that, um, that it happened the way that it did. And I think obviously like, uh, but then you get greedy and then it's like, I wanted more time. So she could have gotten a little bit older and remembered him, but I'm at least thankful. Like he got to see me become a father. Um, I feel like the experience of becoming a father made me like love and appreciate my dad more because it is just, uh, uh, it's a lot. It's just, it's like literally most, you know, most seconds, minutes hours of your days are just spent like cleaning feeding like this just fragile little human and just helping guide them through the world and, you know I, I think it was uh it was a nice experience like it it made me feel uh closer to him before he passed and then uh yeah i mean obviously yeah i ended up writing like half of the the new album about my father's passing and i mean I mean, it's, it's pretty dark at times, but I think that was kind of why, like, I knew I was going to write a song <clears throat> about my daughter. And so I thought, you know, like, it'd be cool to kind of end the album on, like, a a nicer note, because we, we don't ever usually do that. You know? <laughs> well, I thought it was kind of interesting, too, the way the last two, like, literally fade into each other. And, and I might be wrong, since I don't uh, with the media things, media links, but it seemed like it went from one about your dad to then about your daughter and literally kind of the, yeah. the stark contrast of like musically, it, it's, it kind of flowed. It like obviously literally flows into one another, but it also mm. felt like they were like written together. Like they were written kind of as a cohesive piece all along. And that may not how it, it was, but I thought it was really interesting because I feel like, as I kind of was listening to it, I was like, it almost would have been interesting to maybe have the the second to last track be the first track. And then the other one, the first. So then it oh, properly okay. bookends sort of what you went through literally in your life. Um, but it's, uh, oh, I will definitely say, um, I'm sure you hear this a lot that it's, it's a lot to take in. And I think, you know, as someone that's, you know, just celebrated my 38th birthday, uh, listening to this, this newest record of yours really kind of reminded me of sort of some, some of the sudden losses I've dealt with personally and how I feel like it's all there. Like, you know, you're talking about different colors. Uh, you're talking about the various things and it was kind of hard for me. Like I've only had the record for like two and a half days, three days. Uh, I've only made it through it once because it was kind of hard for me to get through it without thinking about the same losses that I've gone through of friends, family and so forth. And, but it's also when it's done, you know, the last couple of notes of, of, uh, afterglow kind of, you know, put a smile on my face. I was literally listening to it as, as I was walking the dog right before this. And it's one where it feels like 
how I feel now a couple of years removed from some of those losses where you're able to look back and think about those people and you don't feel as much sadness. You feel happiness. You feel this sense of, uh, I'll call it relief. Um, and it's something that I feel like for given how not long of a time you had to write about these things versus when the record's actually coming out, I feel like you are a lot further along in my journey through through these things. Um, but it's one of those where I, I definitely feel like it's going to help a lot of people in their own journey through through these things. So I think for that, uh, thank you personally uh, for giving me something to kind of reflect and be able to think about my friends and family and, and kind of not uh, feel sadness as much as I used to. And to kind of have that like little bit of hope at the end that I feel now, you know, where I am. Um, how do you think this record is going to be perceived by a lot of people? Cause I know only a couple of songs at this point have been out. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Thanks for saying all that. Um, yeah. I, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I think, I think it'll, it'll go. Okay. It's, um, I don't think it's like a, a night and day, uh, difference from the last record sleep talk. It's definitely like, I feel like it's a little more grown up. It's a little, I feel like we were trying to still kind of cater to like metal and like post hardcore roots <laughs> in the the last album. And I feel like this one, we like, we embraced like kind of stepping away from that on sleep talk. And so I felt like on this one, we like extra, we're kind of like, well, like let's go even further. Cause we don't, a lot of us don't really listen to like, hard metal or, or like super aggressive music anymore it's it's, it's just kind of happened with our, our older age i just feel like it, i don't know <laughs> even on the record before sleep talk we, we wrote like a metal album and we were just like why are we doing that? like i don't like n- none of us listen to this in our free time and uh but i mean and it's like it's the same it's the same producer and the same the same guy mixing and mastering it for this album that did for sleep talk so um I'm hoping it goes over well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of, uh, I mean, it's a lot of grief, you know, it's, it's interesting to think like what, like what I would have written the album about, um, if my dad hadn't passed away. But I mean, I feel very lucky though, too, that I have that experience. Cause it's funny that you feel like you're like, Oh, like you didn't have that much time. And I guess like, that's true in like the, the scheme of things. Like my dad is only, uh, he's only like not been with us for like a year, like a year and just a little over a year, I guess, like a year, year and two months, year and three months. And it's like, uh, but for me, it feels like, it kind of feels like an eternity. Like it, it feels like a really, really long time since that happened. And, uh, but I, I've noticed that I'm lucky in that way though, that, uh, like I dated a girl for a few years uh, who I thought, I mean, I was like 20 or 21 at the time. And it, it was a really, it wasn't a good relationship, <laughs> but I, I really thought that we were going to like get married and have kids. And uh, she ended up meeting somebody else. It was the only like real breakup I had where like I got dumped and I like super did not want the relationship to end. Um, and, uh, but anyways, I ended up writing a whole, EP about it when I was 20. Um, it was this really shitty uh, acoustic EP called Picture Without Color. <laughs> um, I think the songs are bad and my, my buddy recorded it for free and it, it just didn't sound fantastic. And um, But 
it's I've always found, yeah, like in that experience, I was able to write it was like six or seven songs about our relationship ending um, just a few months after. And I just felt like I, I could like come to terms with it and I could breathe a little bit easier about it all. And I, I feel like it's kind of the same thing with my dad. It still, it still sucks on a lot of days, but um, I feel like I, well, we wrote neon grave first and I thought I was like, Oh, that'll be like my dad's song. And then, um, it's just there was so much experience of like the like the thing of like having dreams about him. Um, yeah, obviously like how his passing felt like a neon grave um, parallel. I wrote about my dad and kind of like the choruses are kind of about the idea of him being alive and a, and well in like a parallel universe. But then I also I don't know I in the verses I like really wanted to get um, very like overly. Uh, like overly vivid lyrically with like what it was like watching him pass away in hospice. And I just, there were all these like different kind of like components to his passing that were like really hard to squeeze, like just into neon grave. So we ended up writing like, I think there's five songs in the album that are about my dad, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm hoping it'll go over well. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of like our bread and butter is just like really overly depressing shit and then people <laughs> people just uh and then people just trauma dump you know their their stuff on me and i think it, it always comes, it always comes from a good place but man on, on tour it's just so much of like just like every night like just like in these 30 30 or 45 second interactions it's just like such heavy shit person to person like my dad died a month ago my mom's drug addict like my grandpa has cancer i'm just like fuck man i'm really like i'm sorry but i mean it's i understand it though like i uh, my mom was a drug addict when i was a kid and all, all i had was like i had a boom box and i would i would just listen to like like lincoln park and just like all this other stuff that it felt really sad and angsty but it like made me feel really really comforted like knowing i wasn't alone and what i was experiencing i think that's the something i've touched on quite a bit on this show is i i don't think sometimes we realize you know you as the artist necessarily you know because they say like you know you spend the time writing the song but then once it comes out it's it's not really yours anymore it, it's kind of everybody's um yeah and it's one of those things where you know i constantly talk about different professions tattoo artists you know kind of go through the same thing i think where all you're hearing is kind of everyone's worst day like what inspired this tattoo oh like my fucking husband beat me for the last 20 years so i'm getting this because i finally left him and you're like fuck like what do I do with that? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now I have to go home and try to like, you know, be a normal person around, you know, my significant other or whatever. And, yeah. you know, even thinking about my uncle, who's a forensics person. And there was like a, a mass murder around here, like probably 10 years ago. And all I had to think of was like, it was the first time I really saw my uncle on the news and be like, since he has to do the forensics at like all these different places. It's like, you see the worst in fucking people, the worst tragedies, like kids literally being killed and all this stuff. And then yeah. you go home and eat dinner with your family and have to like act normal, I guess. Like how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. But it becomes the same prism basically. I think through some of the things you go through as, as an artist where it's like, you're putting real life things that you've gone through, but then you have to kind of be that emotional support for 
everybody that interacts with you that wants to tell you about how your music helped them. But then if adversely, it's like, what does it do to you while you're still dealing with your own things mentally on the road? And being on the road is just hard enough as it is, let alone having to, yeah. to kind of feel like you need to be there for everyone and have the right things to say for everyone that I don't think a lot of people I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration how hard it must be for for someone like yourself to to be in that situation day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's comparable to your uh, your well, uncle, you know, secrets <laughs> and stuff. Um, but it's, no, uh, but it's still just the the thing of having to, <laughs> you know, kind of have to be there for people and have to kind of compartmentalize. Yeah, it's uh, your life. Yeah, it's hard, man. It's. Uh, I was really, I was really, we were just on tour with um, this band, uh, The Word Alive and uh, Mood Ring. And um, I feel like, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like our, I don't know, like things have been going really well where I feel like this is like our, we were playing kind of like B markets at like these like more like 400 or 500 cap venues and like a little bit more intimate. Like we're doing a, we're doing a tour with like Bad Omens in November and I, I don't want to say it in like a bad way, but it's like the venues are, um, they're much bigger capacity. And because we're not headlining, like I thankfully will probably only have to play and then not have to interact with people very much. <laughs> and I don't say that in a way that's like, like fuck our fans. It was just, um, there were a lot of moments on the last tour where I was just very, uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, you're like, you're really sleep deprived. Um, especially like as a, as a singer, I mean, it's, you have to be so like annoyingly attentive to like, did I like drink enough water today? Have I, have I like, have I just spoken too much in conversation today? And that's the thing too. It's like, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot anymore. Cause I'm really mindful of it, but there'd be times where like fans would just like, they would talk to me for like an hour or two hours, like, you know, between different people before we play. And then I could feel that my voice was actually like kind of run down by the time we got on stage. And so now I, I learned eventually to go like, Hey, I love you. Um, I can't talk to you anymore. Cause I don't want to <laughs> other people who came to see us and I don't want to sound like shit, um, you know, to answer all these, these questions that you have. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's very, uh, you're right. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of times people just think like, oh, they're playing a show. It's fun. It's cool. It is. But it's like, it's a lot of, um, yeah, it's it's hard, man. It's a lot of, you know, you're cramming yourself into a, a lot of times a van. If you're lucky, you can get a bus or a bandwagon, um, which is a lot more comfortable. But yeah, you're just, you know, away from your family, your friends. Um, it's just all this like crazy over stimulation and I'm, I'm already kind of naturally like an introverted person and then and it's hard too because i mean i've uh not recently but you know like i i think i, I still have like a bit of social anxiety and I, I think i've learned how to adapt to it over the last like decade that we've been touring but like it's just uh I didn't know how to take compliments. I wasn't like that good in conversation and it's just funny like i would just read a comment of like somebody just like like oh like he was such a nice guy when i met him and that's like oh man he was a fucking asshole when i met him it's just like it's just so weird because i'm like i don't i don't think i've ever like advertently like somebody came up to me and i was like go fuck yourself like i've never done that but it's funny <laughs> people like 
they just get this perception of you and they build up this idea of you in, in their head. And if they just like hit me on a day where I'm, cause some days are better than others. Some nights I'd be like, let's I'll talk to everybody. Let's go. And then some nights I would just be like, I don't even want to, I just want to play and I just want to go lay down. I, I don't even want to talk to anybody. And you're expected to be like on like a hundred percent of the time. And if you're not like, and you rub like one person the wrong way, like somebody in Ohio can just be like, that guy was a fucking dick when I met him. And then they tell all their friends. And then, you know, there's a small circle that just thinks like, Oh, like, yeah, maybe I like his music, but he was kind of a shitty guy. And it's like, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Um, I even, you know, what's funny was I remember we did a, we did a, we did a warp tour in 2018 and we did, it was like probably some of our first like meet and greets. Cause we, we didn't think we were ever like popular enough to justify doing that. So, well, we, we had a good time doing it there. Uh, we just do it after we played at our tent and, um, and I remember motionless and white, they were on the tour also. And I, they would do meet and greets, but they'd have to get like escorted by security. And, um, <laughs> and it was just, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of kids who wanted to meet them and do a signing. And, um, I remember one, yeah, one person was like, one kid said something like, Oh man, he's like, I really appreciate that you guys come out and like, you do this. He's like, cause like, you know, motionless and white used to do it. And then they think like they're too fucking cool now. So they don't do it at all. I'm like, I think I had to correct the kid right there. I was like, they're like, they're so popular. And they, yeah, like they, I mean, yeah, you have to put yourself in like that band shoes or the singer shoes. Like it just might be like way too much, you know, like on a daily basis, trying to interact with like hundreds of people over and over again. The other thing I noticed too is like, I get sick way more often if I go out to talk to fans because kids natural inclination is to want to, hug me or shake my hand or talk like two inches away from my face. <laughs> like we did a, I get, I get sick often on almost every tour that we do. And I think the few times we didn't, we did a tour where like I didn't interact with fans at all and I didn't get sick like at all. And it's just like, but you know, then you're like a dick if you know, it's just like kind of, yeah, it's, it's a uh, kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't sort of situation. But, uh, it's still fun. I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I just think, I think you're right though. Yeah. Like I think it, it would be cool if um, like fans and showgoers were more, uh, I guess, aware of what, what it's like being a touring musician. Cause it's, it's, it's really challenging a lot of the times. Well, I think that the thing, you know, uh, actually just cause it's funny and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't shared this story before. Uh, so I went to the 2018 Warp Tour, but uh, I've I've said this plenty of times where uh, a friend of mine was on that tour. So I got to my wife and I surprised him in Connecticut and then uh, got hooked up with an all access pass. So we were able to go check out the full show from different vantage points that a lot of people couldn't. And what was interesting is we were on our way to go meet up with our friend and we were like getting ready to go backstage. But I was like, oh, hey, Breed's playing. So I'm going to watch them and then we'll go. And I remember the singer of this band was uh, walking and had person person. <laughs> Cause as soon as like they got to the barricade, like she was just like, Oh, it was great talking to you. Bye. And then just like took the fuck off. And 
I looked at my wife and I was like, so this person doesn't know I have an all access, no escort needed pass. Should I go fucking punish her? Like next time this, damn it, I didn't mean to say she, uh, should I go punish this person uh, when they come back out? And then when they try to do that, I'll be like, oh, where are you going? I'll go with you. (laughs) Just to see like the, oh no, reaction on their face. And just be like, I've been fucking with you the whole time. I saw the last exchange. I really don't care about you. But I just think it would be funny to do that because I, I get both sides of it and I get, you know, the punishers that happen and, and people not being you know aware of what's happening. And I've definitely done it. I even texted a friend the other day. I was like, sorry, after we kind of drank for a little bit the uh, last night, like I kind of probably got a little punishery. So sorry about that. Like, you know, first time it's happened, but whatever. And uh, it's, it's a thing. I think as you get older, you just kind of become more aware of yourself and become aware of others. Um, I know one of the biggest components of that for me in recent years has been working door at a bar and people are like, Oh, you don't really, is all of the music playing if i did that every shift i worked i'd have no voice period every week i would just my voice would be shot yeah so i used to just sit there but then it's interesting that when you kind of be quiet and and observe that you tend to notice a lot more that's going on around you and it kind of makes you reflect on who you are and how you maybe interact in these situations and how maybe best to avoid them and i think that just comes with age and getting older and putting yourself into to different positions and hopefully you learn from them. But I think, uh, I don't think that what you're saying at all makes you sound like a dick. I think it just honestly makes you very aware of that. You know, I think I saw a post on your Instagram recently that, you know, you said like, Oh, I, I decided to quit my job and become a full-time musician. And I think that that comes from gaining strength and, and perspective on who you are and how to better set yourself up for success Versus maybe when you would have done it at 20 something and you're like, all right, well, I'm doing this. So that means I, I taking a job means I failed. And it's like, no, you can try this. I think you're, you're ready to have made the steps necessary to do this on a professional level and set yourself up, set yourself up for success this first time. But probably also knowing that if it doesn't work out the way you had hoped that it's also not a failure, it's just, a, okay, like let's kind of look back and figure out what didn't go right. How can we correct this? How can I make this better the next time I try to do this and make a, you know, better informed decision moving forward. And obviously I would say having a kid probably makes you think of all these things already, like just cause you have to think bigger now. Yeah. I just got lucky that I think music started going well, like at least financially enough to where like I could, I can just tour and then come home and then like have, I have enough to live off of until the next time we tour, it's a little more, it's like kind of sketchier though. Cause it's like, you get like a big chunk and then you have to kind of <laughs> stretch it until the next time you go out, you know? So it's, it's like, yeah. Like, I mean, if another pandemic happened, like I, I couldn't still just be a, a musician, you know, I, I'd have to go get a job. And I, I think about working part time, but we were also, it was like, we were trying to finish the album also around the time that I, like we did a tour and I was like, Oh, this is like pretty decent money. And then I, I, we were like in the middle of recording the new album and I was like, I need to kind of commit to this a little more like full time. So, um, the timing just kind of worked out, but it's, um, no, I feel, yeah, I feel very grateful. I mean, you know, that's, it's funny you mentioned punishers cause I feel like that's just like an industry, like an inside term that like not everybody, like I've thrown out the term punishers before and people are like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, 
oh, it's uh, it's a very real thing in the touring world with just very, <laughs> very, on a, very people just being not self-aware and just berating you with questions or not knowing when to leave you alone. And I mean, yeah, bless their hearts. I think they just don't, yeah, they just, they haven't gone. I'm, I'm sure like I could have been a Punisher when I was like 18 or, or 17. It was, yeah, we ran into Oh, I think uh, we all were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, yeah, it was funny because I, yeah, at Warp Tour, we were in line for catering and um, uh, Aaron Gillespie from Under Oath ended up stepping behind us. And then um, he ended up, uh, and it's just funny. I was just kind of like, I was with our drummer Mike at the time and we were just kind of like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. And then it's just funny. I was like, dude, if I was 17, I would have been like, Oh my God, I fucking love you. And like, you know, like he was like a, a huge, a huge inspiration vocally. when I was like a younger kid and I, I just wanted to know how to like, just kind of belt like as loud as I could. And, um, but you know, I mean, it was funny cause we didn't, he actually ended up making conversation with us, which, which, which was kind of ironic. And we were just kind of entertaining him and almost felt like, um, but he, um, I mean, sure enough, yeah, like these other two guys on the tour that were the younger band came up and just started punishing him. I was just like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. But, uh, no, it's, uh, man, it's a time, I guess you get some good stories out of it or you, you have the, uh, you have the, uh, you have the the crew or, or somebody on tour who can see you're getting punished. And when they walk up, they're like, Hey, like we need to talk in the green room right now. <laughs> <And> <laughs> happened in the last tour. And it's like, it sucks. It even has to come into that, but it's just like, man, sometimes you just get locked into conversations and I, I'm not good at like, I wait for like, cause you need like almost a gap of silence today. Hey man, appreciate you. I got to go. Um, man, sometimes people don't, it's yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Our tour, our tour manager pointed out that it's funny that in a lot of conversations with fans, it's a lot of me just like going like, Oh, well, thank you. Like, I appreciate that. Like, Oh, that's cool. Like just very, like, I'm trying to naturally let the conversation come to an end. And they just, this guy was just ranting about how his dad was trying to stab him and just, I, I, and he was obviously very drunk, but it was just, I was like, dude, I, I, I am not, <clears throat> you don't need me for this conversation. Like you're, you're doing just fine by yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I think sometimes, time. I think sometimes the hard part is, is, and especially I think with music at shows and when you find a connection with someone that has something similar to you, it's, it's hard because you, you feel seen for the first time you, you, you know, and so it, it especially when there's alcohol mixed, like, you know, and I've been guilty of that too, uh, especially just being someone who can talk to anyone about anything, which is why I think this was such an interesting medium to find when I was like, I don't know if people want to talk to me. And everyone's like, you fucking talk to anyone about anything. So like you are, shouldn't be surprised that you're somewhat good at this. Um, but I do think that there is, that's the hard part is when you find a connection that's so deep and so inside that like you don't probably don't really connect and can't really tell anyone about, or you don't think you can, that that's where it gets hard and you, you kind of lose all sense of social cues and norms and so forth. And I know for me recently in the last like year and a half, two years, you know, after going to therapy, it becomes this thing like where I kind of 
and I talk about it all the time, almost every episode since, you know, I've talked about it in some capacity and it becomes one of those things where I'm like, Oh, am I, am I kind of like punishing people about talking about therapy? But to me, I'm, now or i said you know when someone asked what was it like did i find it helpful and i go it's like being seeing in 2d your whole life and then someone gives you the key to see in 3d and you're just like holy fuck does anyone else know that th that you can do this that you can be this way like that this other world exists once you kind of start willing to look inward take ownership and responsibility and kind of do the work and work your way through things that to me, I kind of wonder, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm sure everyone's like, oh, here we go. Therapy again. But also, why wouldn't I want to talk about something that drastically changed my life for the better in the last couple of years, especially when everyone went through horrible shit? I think it's something the one time we've all gone through something the same that we can then kind of go, yeah, we're kind of getting back to a new normal but how do how do we all acclimate now? How do we get better? What are the tools that you've learned to cope with things? And I think that's the bigger talking point is that a lot of us as people don't want to actually communicate and learn uh, because we're afraid of not knowing everything. Yeah, I know that's that's awesome if, if therapy has worked uh, really well for you. I. I truthfully, I only tried it. I tried it one time, uh, like a year or two years ago. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I guess the thing is, I, I think like, <clears throat> I think being in the position that I'm in and writing the way that I do, and I feel like it makes it where like, I'm not really on, like, I'm not like a, a typical like macho guy where like, I don't feel comfortable talking about my emotions. I feel pretty comfortable <clears throat> probably more so than like, a lot of my guy friends talking about like anything like my dad, my mom, what it's like being a father myself, just like anything. I, I don't really feel like it's, is off balance. And so, um, I don't know. I did therapy and, um, it just, uh, and maybe it was just the wrong, you know, therapist for me personally. And she, she was, um, she was very kind. <clears throat> she wasn't like mean or anything. I just felt like, it just felt like the conversations were very kind of aimless. Like it was just mm -hmm. her. I don't know. I was waiting for these kind of like, like, aha, like these epiphany moments. And I felt like even when like, like we'd be having a conversation and I'd finish saying something, I feel like I'd see her go. Yeah. Um, uh, like, how did that make you feel? It just like, it didn't like, it just didn't feel <laughs> like there was any like structure to it. Um, it just felt kind of like, really loose and I would just feel like we would just kind of talk for like 50 minutes and then at the end of it <laughs> I would just kind of be like like I've said all this stuff to like a multiple people in my like I'm not like this closed shell of a human you know but like but I do like self-recognize like there are like things in myself like like romantically where I feel like I maybe close like myself off to people and it's it's completely like unintentional like I don't um or like I have people just tell me like I'm really hard to read emotionally or like they can't get in it's like it's not something that I'm like intentionally like fuck the world and I'm trying to I'm, I'm sure it was like deep rooted in like my relationships with my parents when I was younger and I kind of I wanted like a therapist to kind of like help me like maybe understand and improve on that and um I I have kind of been like 
I've sort of been like, I don't think I had a great run with that person. And we, we really, I think we did like five or six sessions. I, I, I didn't really commit to it for a while, but I just didn't really feel like, I think we only did a few and then I had to go on tour. And then when I got back, I just, I wasn't super motivated with her personally to, to get back into it. Cause it, I just didn't feel like she was really helping me see anything that I, I didn't know already about myself. Um, and, uh, but no, I, but it's funny. I mean, despite that experience, like I'm a huge advocate for therapy and just for people. Like I, I definitely think from personal experience, it's like, yeah, if you, stuff shit down it's um like i don't know it's it's so much more different when you vocalize something like a thought you have in your head out loud like it makes it real to yourself and i think it's you get to talk through your shit or i I see it all the time where people i have friends like hold things in and then i feel like they just like explode one day and i'm like (laughs) you gotta get it out man like it's not it's not going anywhere you know yeah it's funny like i think the thing that was interesting about therapy for me is i feel like my therapist i feel like was used to having people because i used better help and i liked it because it's like okay i have it looks very similar to this i have all the equipment i can do it at my leisure in my home i don't have to go somewhere so like i'm i feel like i'm a little bit more at ease to go through the process because i'm like all right i'm in my home and I guess if I really don't like what you're saying, I could just fucking end the call and be like, all right, (laughs) I'm done. Um, But it was one of those things where I think she was so used to having people like with the constant, it's almost, it's funny because it made me realize like how even therapy and this, in that situation is almost like how we have become so accustomed to be like you were saying earlier, being on. She's like, well, you have like ways to email me. You have ways to like get in touch with me before our next session. And then she would always like send a thing like just checking in and all this kind of stuff. And, and I realized about myself that I was like, I'm not going to, if I have that tool where I can just constantly like, okay, well, I'm thinking about this. Like, can you give me the answer? It's like that I'm not going to learn. And I know that about myself. And that was sort of one of the things we were talking about is not overthinking something. So it's like, we'd have our session. Here's what I want you to work on for the next thing. And a lot of times I just sit with it for a week and see how it maybe came up on my, my day-to-day life. And then it would go, okay, like, okay, now I know how that is or how that worked. And then I'd go back to her like that week. And it just was one of those things that at a certain point I was like, I, I think even though we, we started with this one problem and then kind of found another one, which ironically was my parents, uh, which I was like, I remember when she said, it, I was like, God damn it. Why do I have to be so cliche that it has to come back to the parents? Like every fucking other person that goes oh, to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> weird, man. yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed the fact that like, I never, I always thought, cause a lot of my friends and I actually just saw one of my friends after eight years, you know, his therapist and him came to the same conclusion where like, I talked to mine. I was like, I think I'm done. Like, I think we've tackled everything. I think I have the tools. And then it was really funny because the day I, we kind of had agreed to like, yeah, we're, we're done. And if you need me to come back, like you can, uh, my car broke down cause I was doing shipped at the time. My car broke down in the middle of like Grand Rapids. You were just here uh, like a week and a half or two weeks ago. Um, so not far from the venue on the busiest road. And I was in a turn lane, like on another busy road. My car just fucking shit out at a light. And I was like, what the fuck? And normally I would just spiral out of control of like, oh my God, how much is this going to cost? I don't really have that much money. Holy shit. Uh, da, da, da. And then like, I would have just spiraled out of control of things that don't fucking matter. And then I just use the therapy thing of like, what can you address right now? Okay, I need to get someone behind me so no one hits me. Cool, call the cops. Okay, they're right across the street. So just send someone over. 
All right, I got to get a tow truck. All right, get a tow truck. Where am I taking it to? This place. All right, because then I can walk home. Call my wife. All right, now beyond that, I can't control anything else until I get a new set of information and then deal with it then. Yeah. But I kind of laughed as I'm sitting there and people are honking at me. I was like, man, it's funny that the day I'm done with therapy and we're like, hey, you got all the tools. We think you're good to go. And I'm like, I think so, too. Boom. Here's like the ultimate litmus test of like <laughs> normally would have thrown me out of a fucking out of my mind of just overthinking about shit. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's those things where I I want everyone to be able to have the tools to to not have those freak out moments and to be able to kind of realize in the eye of any chaos or any storm that you're like, I'm going to get through this. I mean, it's going to suck, but I can get through it. And to me, like, I hope, you know, maybe you do go back and maybe you find a better person uh, to help you have those aha moments. Um, Cause I think those are important. And, and I think some of the things that I've learned have really helped me move forward. I mean, one of the biggest ones and, you know, I think this will be an interesting talking point between, you know, to talk with you about is, you know, in recent years, I've kind of realized as I'm almost 40, the barometer and the benchmark that my parents had me at 24. So when I think about from 24 on and I think about my life in, in juxtaposition against my parents, I'm like, holy fuck, how did how did you deal with any of these things? How did you deal with a kid that was born with a cleft lip and palate? How did you deal with a, the other kid you had dying? How do you deal with all of these things? And there's, you're just people. But then as I get older, I'm like, you're just people who happen to be my parents. So I can disagree with you on some things as a person to person, but you're still my parents and I still love you. But then I've realized I don't know that that same idea of a relationship has been reciprocated. Like, I think they always still see me as their kid. And I don't know if since I'm never going to be a parent, I don't know if that's ever something that you can kind of move yourself out of. And always kind of compare and contrast to the life of your parents and, and how you were with your parents and that relationship to the relationship you're going to have with yours and, and and so forth. And I don't know. I've been thinking a lot more about it because I don't know if I don't know if other people have really kind of come to that realization that like your parents are people and you can see them as such. Yeah, Um I know it's a trip. It's, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. We're like becoming a father um, definitely made me look at my father um, and my mom even um, just like very, just very differently. Um, Cause no, you're right. They're just kind of these like annoying people who are around. <laughs> um, no, not, I mean, yeah, I, I was short tempered with my, my dad sometimes. And like, I, like I, I apologize to him for that. Uh, you know, before he passed away, but no, it's true. I mean, it's, um, it, well, cause I think it's just as a kid, you just grow up with like, there are just these like Titan role models or not even role model. They're just these, they're your parents. So they, it's just, if you're ever like scared or anxious or something's going on, like you always, you know, if, if you're lucky anyways, you know, you have a parent or, a, you know, two parents to lean on and, and um, it just feels like they have, you know, they have their life figured out. Everything's fine. And then, yeah, you just realize, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think 24 even it's a like, that's a, that's a, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 33 now. My daughter, I was 32 and my daughter was born. And yeah, it's just like, a, I, yeah, I don't know how I would have been as a father <laughs> at 24. And I just feel like so much in my life has happened in the last, you know, like eight, eight or nine years since that age. And it's uh but it's true. I mean, I'm sure my daughter will 
will um, look at me that way as she gets older that I'm, and, and I am somebody that I'm like, that's the, that's the thing too, is like, I think a, a lot of things just shift when you become a parent and you're kind of just like your entire mindset changes. And the fact of like, yeah, it's a very selfless kind of lifestyle to live. Cause you're constantly like, you're constantly planning your life around for the betterment for your, your child and you're, you're okay with it. Um, cause it's, it's, it's like a blessing to, to be a parent to take care of another person. It's, it's very challenging, but it is also, you know, I will carry that role throughout my entire life, but that doesn't mean that, you know, there are times where, yeah, I'm on tour, I'm at home and I just, um, something horrible is happening or I'm just not having a good time. And it's, it's not really, it's not like I'm going to tell, you never like tell your kids, like I'm stressed about money or like, this is how, you know, like you just have to, <laughs> you have to put on a front that like you're fine and everything's okay. But I think that's the thing is, yeah, it was when I became a father, I was just like, you know, I, I did it on, on basically like a, a three day notice and that wasn't, so I didn't walk into the situation fully like, prepared or like i got like i know what i'm doing like i didn't have any time to like <laughs> read any books or, or like or anything but it's just funny you just like just like held my daughter for the first time and it's like okay I'm like i'll i'll figure it out like it's it's not it's not a big deal so it's uh but yeah at the end of the day i mean you're right it's just your parents are people they're just they're just people who happen to get somebody pregnant or decide to have a kid and then they're kind of trying to navigate. And I mean, so, I mean, obviously some people do a better job than others when it comes to, to being a parent, but uh, now you're, you're very right. I mean, it, it is probably better to see your parents as people because they're, that's, that's all they are really. They just decided to have a kid and they hopefully did a, hopefully, you know, didn't fuck it up too bad. <laughs> I think it's – I feel like, you know, everyone talks about – mainly with kids, but I feel like uh, we – I don't know if it's always existed this way or if it's just a, a societal norm of like, okay, you get married, you you know, you, you date, you get married, or I guess we'll go back a little bit further. Graduate high school, maybe you marry your high school sweetheart, go to college or find someone in college, marry that person, get a job, get a house, kid, kind of, you know, rinse, repeat uh, to a degree – and I don't know if like there seems to be this like shucking of that where people are like, well, I don't need a kid or more importantly, I feel like the big life events now of, excuse me, of I need to like have a career. I need to buy a house. I need to have a kid that everyone's more. It has to happen when I'm ready, when it's like like it, that, that life can be that adjustable <laughs> to your whims where you're like, OK, now I have all the things ready to have a child. So I'm going to have a child now. And it's like, life doesn't work like that. Like no. to me, <laughs> I almost feel like the fact that you had, I mean, maybe not days notice is the best way, but I feel like that's almost like the ultimate metaphor of just like, you have to just, you'll be ready for whatever life gives you. Or if you're not, you will figure it out because that's just how we as people cope and survive is by constantly adapting to whatever we are thrown and I think I'm not saying that that probably was not stressful, challenging and just a million other things going through your mind. But I think, you know, you did you do the best you can and you just kind of learn as you go. And, and that's really the best you can do. But I don't think we're willing to again, I think it kind of goes back to like you need to know everything and be so prepared. And it's like that's not life at all. Like, I don't know anyone that that has 
everything down to a, a, a fucking box that they can just check off and be like, and now let's go. Like, you no. can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta, you just gotta roll with what life throws at you. But I mean, like I said, being a parent, a parent though is very like, it was just kind of like a primal instinct that kicks in of like, Oh, okay. Like I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to take care of the kid. It's not, it's not, a, well, I mean, unless you're a deadbeat, but you know, <laughs> and personally, you know, I, I think something that, you know, thinking about uh, listening to the record and thinking about, you know, the change in the band for yourself and just kind of how seemingly you guys have kind of been on more of an upper trajectory since the last record, you know, I, I think to like something I hear like Josta and a lot of like the elder statesmen of, of touring basically that I listen to going like, you know, doing these bullshit tours, doing these like random one off shows and shit during family events just isn't worth it. Like in the grand scheme of things, and I won't do it anymore. Has it maybe changed how you look at what Dayseeker will be moving forward for you? Um. I don't know. That's funny. One-offs actually feel, at least at their hometown, they feel better to me because it's, I get to go, I get to see my kid like the day of the show and then the day after, you know, it's actually the longer stretches that are, well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it sucks either way, honestly, because um, <laughs> touring was, um, I mean, touring was challenging enough before having a kid, but definitely like, I mean, I wrote it, like I wrote it in uh that song about my daughter because we actually um neon grave was the first song we started working on on the album and then uh afterglow was actually the second song um hmm. but it was like it, they were both like instrumental at that point but i i had had i had had uh like a lot of the uh a lot of like the guitar chords written for afterglow and so we had a we had a really good rough instrumental for afterglow probably like a year ago and i had had like I'd written like the chorus, but like the verses always kind of sucked. And we, we had to like kind of rework that song a little bit um, to get it to where it ended up coming out as. And um, it was just because uh, I was so new. I knew I was going to write something for her, but I was so new into fatherhood. And then it's it's interesting because I, I only ended up uh, Afterglow ended up being the last song that I like finished and wrote for the album, probably like probably like five months ago. Um, and it was a lot, it was just such a different approach. Cause I, I had been on a couple of, uh, a couple of tours across the U S and it was just this very, like, I wrote it in the song, like I'm, I'm on the road, like missing milestones. And it, it would just be small things where like, yeah, like I, I went on a tour and she was, uh, right before the tour, she had taken a, a couple steps. So I, I was like happy I got to see that, but then it was just crazy. Cause then I came home. Uh, six weeks later and she's just like running around and it was just, I was in my head, you know, a month and a half prior, she was primarily crawling and then taking a couple of steps and then would, you know, fall over a little bit. So it was just like, and then even I was only gone for like two and a half weeks and then I came back like a week ago and yeah, I just feel like there's times where like I come home and like, it's like, not unfamiliar. She's the same person, but it just, I feel like the, how rapid her growth is, is like scary sometimes. And I, I feel like I am, I have like kind of, <coughs> it wasn't intentional, but I feel like, yeah, I kind of, I pick this career path that is going to like take me away from being a part of my daughter's life. Like 
with like certain things like this. And so it's, uh, it's interesting, man. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure it's only going to get harder as it goes along, but I always have to remind myself, like I'm like when I'm out touring, like I'm doing it so I can make money and come home with something for my daughter. So it's not like this completely like, I mean, a few years ago we would tour and like, for a month and like literally each come home with like a thousand or two thousand dollars a piece you know it's like you're making five hundred dollars a week and you're just like this is fucking yeah like you were you were losing money um but it was with the hopes that someday it'll get better and it did but it's like i mean i can safely say like if she had been born a couple years ago we probably wouldn't be a band right now because i don't think i could like keep it's just, yeah, it's like, is the juice worth the squeeze? It's like, I'm not going to go out and be sleep deprived and, you know, perform for like 80 people a night and then come home to my daughter with like nothing to show for it. So um, I'm, I'm lucky that this all happened around like post sleep talk where things were going well. And now it's, uh, and it's cool. I mean, I look forward to just like getting to bring her to shows and, uh, have her kind of hopefully just grow up in like this environment with other musicians and people. I just think, I just think it'll be a cool kind of lifestyle for her when she's like more like consciously aware, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's been something I've talked to with, with different people, you know, like I think more, more recently, Brian from shadows fall, you know, his kids are of the age now where by the time they were born, like he was pretty much done touring. So there there's, they never saw him really play and saw that side of his life. And so when he, they've been kind of doing these one-off shows and and doing some of these festivals, you know, it was kind of cool to be like, well, now you get to see what dad did and get to see a room full of people doing all the, you know, enjoying this and like what I used to do. Um, So I think it's kind of interesting. And plus, you know, you live in a, a day and age now where so much of your, your memories in life are going to be captured by so many other people that you can still kind of, you know, I guess be shared with your daughter while, even while you're gone. Uh, I don't know if that's equally as weird to be like, okay, here's YouTube videos of your dad on the road or whatever. Um, still performing these songs, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking of actually speaking of festivals and, and songs, you guys were thrown for a loop. I think it was Blue Ridge rock fest, uh, where your laptops didn't overheat it or whatever. And you had to, uh end up playing an acoustic set uh instead of what you know the normal show that you were gonna put on i'm kind of surprised because i feel like even in listening to this last record the latest record and, and hearing a lot of you know electronics and layers and so forth i still feel like i can hear everything originating on an acoustic guitar and then that's where almost everything probably seemingly started from but seeing you play everything acoustically i was like this didn't feel like it was unnatural for you to do what was kind of, I don't know if you've even talked about it at this point, but what was kind of the, the, the audible, when did you guys make the call to like, all right, fuck it. We're going to at least do this versus just canceling a set. Cause uh, I, some bands have recently done that uh, in light of not having everything ready to go. And would, would that be something you want to do more of is more of kind of like the acoustic set or a, an acoustic tour even. Um. Yeah, that was a fucking nightmare for me. Uh, I'm being honest, that was uh, oh. on our part. It's just um, our. I mean, well, 
it was just the way fate had it too. It was just the sun was just beaming at us at five o'clock when we were meant to play and it happened to hit our laptop and we've had that happen before on like warp tour we used to keep like a cooler of ice underneath the laptop to keep it cool when we played and um i don't know why we just were kind of like ah it's like it's not that hot we you know should, should be fine <laughs> and then yeah we got a minute <laughs> you know into our set and yeah sure enough just started dying and, and we had like fans on it and we were trying to cool it off and i uh I would play in a, we were lucky we had the acoustic. It's because we were out in a tour where I, I I would play an acoustic song um every night in our in our set. It's kind of more of a mellow moment. And so um it wasn't even my idea. I I mean I'm sure it would have come to that, but our drummer Mike was like, You should probably go run and grab that just in case like we this is like not a thing anymore. And uh it's not um it's not something that I I don't know. I think the crappy thing was that it was so like on the fly um, that it wasn't even like I had time to like even like go grab a pen and write down what songs I was going to play. I just grabbed it and then I got in front of like, you know, a thousand or so people. And I was just like, uh, I think like they, I had like a little acoustic set earlier in the day for like a VIP tent, but it was it was but some of the tunings were different. So I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well I'm in this tuning, so I'll play without me. And then I was just kind of like, I'm in the middle of playing this. And I'm like, <clears throat> you, you're so like, I feel like I was let it, we were letting everybody down because they wanted to see a full band performance. And then, uh, but you're still like, I got to just kind of like, I have to give this portrayal right now that I'm not fucking like, I just think it's really important that you don't, like I would watch bands play sometimes and something would fuck up or they'd forget a lyric and they'd shake their head on stage. And I'd be like, don't do that. Like, don't, <laughs> it's okay if you fucked up, but like, I wouldn't have even noticed, but I only noticed because you made it so apparent to me while I was watching you. And then it takes me out of it. So I, I just always think like, I tried really hard to keep face um, during that whole experience. But on the inside, I was, I was like, this is horrible. Like, and everybody hates this and it's, it's a letdown. And, but the crappy thing was, is that I was like in the middle of playing the first song <clears throat> that I was doing. And then I was trying to perform and then in my head also going like, what am I going to play after this song? Because I didn't have like, <laughs> I just didn't have a plan. I didn't know where what I was doing. I was like, oh, okay, well, like I should end on Sleep Talk probably because that's what people expect. But I was like, there was like three other songs in between that where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. And um um it yeah it felt embarrassing <clears throat> like in the moment but then i had a i ran into my my buddy backstage right after i played um he was just kind of like he's like i know it sucks he's like but he's like i want you to know like that this will be like a like this is a very there's a lot of people in the audience who are like probably never gonna forget the experience that they said it wasn't just another show where you guys played full band it was like that you you did like this whole acoustic set like out of your ass. And I mean, it was, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it went, it went, <clears throat> it went pretty well, all things considered, but it was just stressful. Cause a lot of those renditions are just like things that I would like play around with at home. Like I, I had never really actually sang a lot of those songs, like in public, like many, many times. So it, it for me, it felt very like, <clears throat> 
just very uncomfortable at times. But um, <laughs> I think it, I think it turned into something really cool. A lot a lot of street cred for sure, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things that to me, um, you know, I'm kind of reminded as I'm kind of going through working with a friend's band and like we just released a Patreon for them. And it was like brainstorming, like what, what, what can we put in there? What can we give people? And I was like, well, you guys don't have a lot of money, so we can't promise people like things that cost a lot of money. So it was kind of getting creative. And I was like, every band has a shitload of demos, like five different versions of the same song, then the pre-pro version, and then, you know, the final version, and then a remix maybe or whatever. And I was like, so like, just get people demos. I was like, I mean, I don't know if people find them as interesting as me, but I love seeing where a song starts, where it ends, how many different ways you can make magic out of the same song. And I think when you do something acoustically that's that's done and when everyone thinks of it a certain way, I think it really takes it and strips it back to its its essential thing of like, these are chords and then here's my my voice or the lyrics or whatever. And it makes something I think maybe some people overlook to then be like the front and center and kind of make you realize like, why is this song so good? It's, it's so good because it's good at its core. It doesn't need all these other things and all these other tricks to be good. It just, it inherently is good. And let me show you again why it is. And, you know, there was something and I was trying to like read your face. Cause like I, knowing the circumstance when I like found the videos of it, I was like, Oh, I'm interested to hear how this sounds this way. And your face didn't really belie that you were like kind of shitting your pants like, okay, what do I play next? What's going on? How do I play this? What tuning do I need to be in and all that? You you felt like it was very comfortable, but there was a moment where, I, and I don't know if maybe I saw it because it put a smile on my face and I was like, that would have been a cool moment to see. But it was when everyone kind of did the, the backing vocal, uh, the vocal melody uh, in Sleep Talk for yeah. you mm-hmm. and i was just like oh that's gotta feel so good like to to know that an ancillary part of your song everyone knows and they know to do it for you because it's not in this version of the song yeah like, to me like a... that would have been really cool and i thought that was like that to me was the really special moment of like that five song set was just like hearing the crowd kind of doing the different parts of different songs for you yeah, that's well. The funny thing about that is, um, with uh, you know, with in ear monitors that we uh, we like kind of got into a few years ago is, I mean, yeah, it makes a <clears throat> makes a huge difference in like the quality of your live set because you can hear everything so well. Um, but it's like it's uh, it's just it's so sound canceling that even when we first started doing it in like smaller clubs or, or whatever, bigger rooms. It was just, I definitely, you lose like, you lose the audience a bit. Like you really can't hear a lot of like, like I used to be able to rate like, oh, this show's going well by how loud the crowd was in between songs. And that's just not something I can do. I mean, thankfully the shows go pretty well for the most part recently, but like that was something at Blue Ridge where I had a, what, with the crowd, like what everybody was experiencing outside of that, except me, they were getting a very different version. Cause I couldn't really hear, I couldn't hear that many people singing along. Like it felt like a very, just like, okay, I'm singing and they're just watching. And then <laughs> it wasn't until my, uh, my, uh, my drummer took a video from side stage of, of playing sleep talk. And I was like, 
but it's like, oh shit, that's like, that is very loud. Like that is not at all what it's like in my in-ears. It, it was very sucked out and just very, just me and the guitar. So it was, um, honestly, I probably would have felt better about it if I had heard the crowd, uh, <laughs> uh, singing that loud, you know, in my in-ears. But, um, I agree. I mean, it was a very, that's what I mean. It was just, it was a very cool moment. I mean, cause that, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen again. You know, we're, <laughs> we have to pull something off like that, like out of our ass, but it was funny because it did spark kind of like a, yeah, like I, I would do, we, we have done it before. Uh, but yeah, like I, I would do, I would do an acoustic tour. Like it just seems like a cool different thing to, to get fans and experience, you know? Definitely. I think it's a, uh... I said, it's just a, a, an interesting dynamic. And, you know, I think that that's something I haven't really talked about on here. But it, coincidentally, I was talking uh, with my friend Mark the other day. They were here in town from nothing more. And, you know, I was making the comment about uh, like, it's funny when I go see bands and people like, you know, depending on where I'm sitting, you know, either front of house or the side stage or in the crowd or different points, because a lot of times I'll just take in a show from as many vantage points as I can just to see it from different vantage points. But it's funny to to have people who still do the like try to shout someone's name, and I'm like, oh, they can't fucking hear you at all. Like, I don't think you understand that the in ears are like literally noise canceling. All they hear is what they have specified. Like, it's almost like when they had the wedges, you know, for when that old before you had in ears. It's like okay, like for your mixes, that's what it is now in the ears, and the wedges are gone. But it's like they can't hear you at all. So the only way you're gonna get someone's attention is maybe by just doing this and pointing a bunch. But yeah, yeah the, gone are the days of someone being able to like really hear the show. And I don't know if like I feel bad at times because I know like I'm getting consistently better shows as a, as a show goer. But I also feel bad sometimes for the band because I'm like, yeah, you can see it, but I feel like you're missing part of it. And that's why I think a lot of times I see especially singers like pull out their in-ears so they can have that moment where they can hear literally what's going on in the room and kind of feel connected to it all versus the disconnect of I want to sound good and it sounds good in my in-ears and I got that dialed in, but I'm kind of lacking on the the connection to the crowd. That's literally not right in front of me. Yeah. I, that's funny. I see singers do that all the time. I actually, I, I heard a long time ago, it's really bad for, <clears throat> for like your, your ears, because I think if you're having all this damage or like, all this shit happening to one ear. I think what happens is, is that like the other ear also fucks itself to like, Oh, to compensate. And so I've just kind of been like, I did it a few, I did it a couple times on our last tour. Cause my, my drummer would be like, Hey, like he's like, man, you should have heard them during like burial plies. Like it's super, he was like, I, he's like, I pulled it out like during this one part. And then, uh, so I did that and it was like, yeah, but I, I always put it back in. Cause I always, again, I just feel like, I don't know. I think a, a few, it was kind of like, damn, this kind of sucks when it first, when we first <laughs> got on in ears a little bit, but I, now, now I'm so comfortable with it, but it's also like, for me, it's like, this isn't about like, it's not about my experience of getting to hear the crowd. It's, it's a lot more. I think about like, I think we just have a big priority that people wait like months to see your band sometimes. And I, I just don't want to do anything to like fuck with their experience. And, we all play better if we can hear ourselves better. So I, I rarely take one side out. I did it a couple times just to hear how, how loud the crowd was, but 
it's also, I mean, it's not, it's not completely gone. I can still hear the crowd a little bit. It's just a, it's a big difference than how it was like a few, a few years ago when, yeah, we would just rock wedges and stuff. But uh, no, it's the, uh, I'll probably always leave them in because I, it, it feel it feels more comfortable now, which is the funny thing. I just feel like <laughs> I can just hear everything really well and just, it feels comforting to me. It's funny. I having seen you guys, I think you were at Sirius studios or something and you were, it was like a four song set or something like that. And I was looking at the comments and everyone's like, the band just sounds so good. And I was like, that's, I mean, when you have, I don't know if like the octane person was actually mixing that day doing the live sound or if it was your own sound person, but I was like, that's the difference of a band investing in themselves. And that's why they have the in-ears so they can hear themselves and know whether they're pushing or where they need to be. But also that's why you hire a professional sound person. So everyone sounds how they should, where they're supposed to be in the mix. And like, like it's just funny sometimes reading that and just being like, that is the point of all of these things. It's supposed to be this good when it's not. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we've spent a lot of money over the last couple of years. I mean, from, I mean, yeah, I think we, we were pretty atrocious live a few years ago. Um, I'm like, I'm surprised, like, I'm surprised <laughs> we had fans, honestly, because I, yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, well, we, we had our, the guy who, he's our producer for Sleep Talk, he actually, he mixed all the live audio from that, that session. But I mean, yeah, we all, it's, yeah, it's a big difference. I mean, yeah, in-ears are just huge. It's the, it's the same thing where, you know, you'd have a wedge pointed at you before that. And it's like, if the wedge wasn't loud enough, I, you would like sing harder to like try and get more, but it was just, yeah, it was always, and you're always just relying on like the mercy of a, a house sound guy. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely like, you know, uh, recent, yeah, very recently too, we were just kind of, cause we went to Australia and we, we didn't bring a sound person and we, and that was for sure. We did that. And then we were like, we had a few house sound guys who just fucked us. And we were like, we are, we are at a level where we cannot afford to not have, to not be in control of like how we sound live and who's mixing us. So it was kind of a, it was a silver lining moment where we're like, cool, we're never doing another tour again without <laughs> a live sound tech. Cause it just, it makes such a big difference. Like you don't want to leave, like the concert goers experience in the hands of like some 50 year old guy who fucking hates <laughs> doesn't give a shit about doing a good job for you. You know? So I, I know plenty of those people and sometimes they even work at venues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, I guess last question for, you, you know, the, the kind of we're at a point right now in the year where a lot of bands are looking at maybe, maybe two more months of touring and then kind of taking off until the year, just cause that's sort of how the industry works. Um, what? Cause I feel like sleep talk. I, and I know that record came out like three, three years ago, I think like actually the anniversary was what, like a couple of days ago of it actually dropping it was yesterday. Yeah. It was yesterday. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does cause it's, it's weird because like, so I've been talking quite a bit about how everyone kind of lives when they're creating art, like you live the things that are happening to you now are, are what's inspiring you to, to write what will be next. And a lot of times, you know, it takes time for everyone to, to finally hear the product because of 
you know, mastering, getting ready for vinyl, you know, getting getting things lined up because we want to put it out in this quarter of the year to line up with these tours and all this other stuff. There's all the kind of the the business side of putting out music. But I know that everyone's tentatively always writing, and I know you have another band as well. I know your this new record isn't even out, but are you like are you still writing for something in general? Like, are you one that was always writing, whether it just even be lyrics or something? No, not at all. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I get very like, I get like, I get random melodies or like lyrics that I'll, I'll record into my phone or I'll write down in my notes or something. But no, I think, well, I think the thing too is like, I, I have this little side project called hurt wave and it was like, we, uh, it was like in the downtime between like sleep talk and then dark sun. It was like, I just, I usually get like a break kind of, well, like before her wave, it was like, Oh cool. I have like a year, a year and a half break before I have to start writing again. And it was like, it was like, we did sleep talk really shortly after that. We worked on the hurt wave EP for like almost a year. And then just very shortly after finishing that, we started working on this album. And so for me, it's like, it's almost like the last couple of years, it's just been like this nonstop, just barrage of stuff. And I even, I'm supposed to, I'm already, yeah, I'm supposed to write something for this, um, for this EDM artist. Um, and I'm like, like, it'll be cool when it's done, but I'm already kind of just like dreading it. Cause I mean, the, I'm really, yeah, I'm really proud with the new album, but man, when you have to write like, like 10 or 11 songs like in a row and you're there's like a pressure to keep them all like interesting and unique and original in their own way it's just it's very uh it's very challenging very stressful especially like the longer you keep writing songs it's like i feel like the more likely it is to get repetitive or like i'll write something and be like oh that's cool i'm gonna be like oh i've literally already sang that exact melody in a different song before and um it's uh no i think I also realized too, it's just, I just don't want to be one of those bands that puts an album out like every year or year and a half, you know, like I think sleep talk. Well, I mean, the pandemic was a big reason why there was such a big gap because we put the album out and then we did one, we did a tour with wage war um, where we got to play songs from it. And then that was pretty much the only tour that we got to really uh, like play songs from that album. And then we didn't get to, it was just funny because by the time we got to start touring again, it was almost two years after the album had come out and our label was kind of like, well, you're kind of right. You should be working on another album now. And it was like, yeah, but like we didn't want to like put this next album out too soon. And then it's like, we only got to play songs from sleep talk live, like the yeah. majority, you know, like once or twice. So we, so I think that's why we did our headliner uh, last April where we played Sleep Talk in full. So it was kind of like a, not like a send off. We're still going to play stuff from that album, you know, in the future. But it was just kind of a, you know, it was, it was different. It was just, we had to kind of adapt to the times. But I think it worked well, though, because that album got to kind of like sit and kind of like marinate for a while with like the scene. And um, I don't know, I just feel like, I would almost, yeah, I just don't want to like really rush on anything. I am, I am kind of interested in doing um, like maybe an acoustic album 
just like a like just doing a bunch of songs from our catalog um like all acoustic kind of like how it was at blue ridge because it, it just got such such good feedback and i feel like that would be a cool thing where like that wouldn't really require me to like i wouldn't have to like rewrite or write like <laughs> 10 new songs and it could still be something to like hold people over before the next release so i'm i'm interested in that but we we probably won't start working on a i don't even want to think about writing a <laughs> no it was because like the point I forgot to finish making is I I feel like I feel like Sleep Talk is still a, a pretty big single still like if it was like had been released maybe four or five months ago like I still feel like it has that impact and that longevity that it still feels new to a lot of people mm. and there are people still finding it like if it, was, if it was being pushed like a single so it's funny to me to think that like that shit that that song that record has been on for three years but it still feels like it's still new and still like gaining momentum uh-huh. and then a new record's about to come out right on top of it um you know actually you said something about not repeating lines and, and as i was listening back to the last two records you know i kind of had wondered because you on the last record and i can't remember what song it was because the phone was in my pocket um you had mentioned quicksand and then there now is a song called quicksand on the new record. So it didn't, didn't know if there was, if you had noticed that there was carryover, uh, at least in mentioning quicksand on the last record to then giving a whole song to it. <laughs> That's funny. That's a, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I say quicksand and, uh, sleep talk, but, um, no, it's fun. They were actually two completely separate ideas. Quicksand is kind of, a not like i want to say it's my least favorite track in the album it's just very the quicksand on the new album was just very kind of like a it's a mellow just kind of pop rock song it, it has a guy from the band um spencer stewart from the band camino on it which i think like is a cool a cool just for us anyways because we're all we're all big fans of that band but um quicksand was actually like the brainchild of um our producer Dan Bronstein. It was like the only song on the record where he actually had like he had written the the beginning chorus, um, just to like he had written like the first like melody and he and he had kind of the like I've been waiting through the quicksand and then had just muddled like different lyrics and stuff afterwards and then we kind of like it was a really big like collaborative thing where we kind of like just tried to write the song like together because usually like I'll, I'll write pretty much everything and then he'll help me tweak the melodies and stuff but that was like that was like the first and only time he actually had a song on his own that like for the chorus anyways he's like i was singing like a vibe like this and it felt it just felt interesting because it wasn't like this like <clears throat> just like belting soaring chorus it was kind of more of a a chilled out vibe like most of the song but no, there's there's no real connection there. It was just it, like in, unless he heard quicksand and sleep talk and then decided to run with it for that one. But I, I think that was his. I think it was all original from his brain. I, I don't think we inspired that at all. It was just kind of funny to hear that, and I was like, huh? Because like I'll do that. I'll listen to something, and then I'll pick up on something, and I go, I wonder if that was intentional. I wonder if there's something bigger that we're not picking up. But then it's also like you look at a band like He Is Legend. And they have the China White series where there's like a song on each record that continues this this story that's being told. And you're just kind of like, all right, well, I mean, I know bands do it. And I know bands sometimes will carry themes over from one thing to another and, and then kind of connects everything. But I don't know. Like I said, I noticed it today. So I was like, and you reminded me of it. So I was like, oh, I'll ask while I'm thinking about it. I definitely like, 
I have a, uh, I'll definitely like put little like winks in there uh, lyrically, like in certain songs. Like, yeah, in Quicksand, I wrote about a girl that I've written uh, way too many songs about. In, uh, <laughs> so like there's a song on our second record called uh, The World Was Quiet. So there's a part in Quicksand where it says like, recall the world was so quiet. So it's like, you know, or like I, um, I wrote that song already numb about her as well. And then I did a feature for uh, this EDM group called adventure club. And so I, I said something about, about being already numb, like, in the, you know, so like there, there's times where like, I'll do little, little things like that. But um, yeah, I guess no, no specific, no specific meaning on a quicksand. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I guess lastly for you, what, uh, where can everyone find you or anything you would like to plug online? Yeah, just um, just Dayseeker, just at Dayseeker, pretty much for all of our handles. Um, we have our new album, uh, Dark Sun, coming out November 4th. Uh, and then we're going on tour with Bad Omens, I think, November 3rd. So the album will come out like pretty much the day we get on tour. But um, yeah, that's pr- pretty much all I got to plug. What song are you looking forward to playing live off of this and giving it a live debut? Like, What one are you itching to like finally shake off? Um, yeah, we're playing, we're going to add, well, we, we've already been playing without me and neon grave, which are really, really cool. Um, like moments live. And then, uh, we're adding a dream state, which we just put out. And then we're also adding a song called crying while you're dancing. And that's, uh, that'll, that's like the last single It comes out like a, a week, a week, I think before the album actually drops. And, um, I'm excited for that one. I think it'll be a cool I think that'll, I think that one, I see that one doing really well. Like when I heard it, like, cause even in the, the press release, it was kind of talking about that one. So like instinctively when the record was, when I was listening to it, I was like, all right, let, let's see why whoever wrote this, this press release, like feels like this is a, a, like one of the standout tracks. And to me, like, I always think it's funny when like a single is so far on a record because to me, it's like that shows that should usually showcase how strong an album is start to finish. If you're able to put something that's like track eight or nine, right? Release it yeah. as a single, mm. that it's like, all right. And usually the last, and I can go on about the way that albums roll out now with, you know, five, six, seven songs as you're <laughs> before the album even comes out, you're like, what are you even leaving me at this yeah, point? I'm already yeah. kind of done with the record because I've heard it all already. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting to me that you know, the one that's hopefully going to get everyone really excited about this record coming out right before it does is one of the, like, you know, the latter songs on the, on the record. And I think it's, I I really enjoyed it. I went back and listened to that one probably two or three times before I let it go on to the next song. Cause I enjoyed, uh, just kind of a lot of the, enjoyed the chorus and, and just kind of the arrangement of it. Like, you know, having not a plug, but like having these new beats headphones that are like noise canceling and all that, like, it gets even to the point where like, if you move your head, you kind of like it shifts the sound with you. So wow. it's kind of weird to be like, be listening to something. And you're like, did, like, and I'll forget I'm moving my head and it does that. Cause then I'm like, did it, did it pan or does it like oddly drop kind of like right there? And then I'm like, Oh no, that was cause I moved my head. So I need to like sit still. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. Thanks man. Um, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard picking single. There, there were a lot of, there were songs we had to leave out that we thought could have been singles, you know, which is not a, a bad problem to have, but it was, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's funny. That's, that's not really like a, that was a song I, I, I like really, when we like at first recorded that song, like I, I like really 
I had a lot of love for it and I, I couldn't, it's just, I don't know. It's just a funny one. I can't really quite put my finger on why. Cause I, I, I really liked it, but I expected like our management and our label to be kind of like, uh, it's kind of a slow burn or like, you know, I don't know if that's like, it's not cause by no means it's not like a, like we wrote like without me and like neon grave. And we were like, Oh, these are like, they're just like classic singles. Like they're just like big choruses and they're like, ultra catchy kind of melodies and like i feel like crying while you're dancing is like just uh i don't know it's weird man i just feel like it's a weird song to be a single but it, it works really well and i even i sent the album to uh our old guitar player <clears throat> he uh he left the band a few years ago but he uh yeah i sent it to him and he i didn't even tell him like oh like listen to the i was just like here it is you know i hope you enjoy it and then he was actually he texted me a few days ago he's like I think crying while you're dancing is like my like favorite like day seeker song you guys have ever done, which was it's cool that he can say that like and not having been a he said that too on the last I think he said like dr- drunk was like his favorite song uh, that he had heard us write. It's just cool for him to say that too because he he didn't have like a hand in these songs and so you expect some older members might be like you aren't shit without me. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's he's very like he's very like cool and open and honest about his opinion of the music. So I'm, I'm excited for, uh, for that one to come out. We're actually, we're shooting a video for it next, next week, which, which will be fun. Yeah. It was kind of funny. I, I, I felt like at times, and I don't know why this came in my head. Cause there's nothing that objectively I can go, Oh, it's this that makes me feel this way. But I was like, this feels like if, somehow panic at the disco went a little bit more different than whatever they've showcased at this point. Okay. Like it just feels that adventurous. It feels that. <clears throat> Cause that's the thing, at least that, and maybe that's where the connection is, is I've always felt like panic at the disco is, has been a band where like, maybe you would sit there and, and be like, Oh, well I wouldn't expect you to like it. And it's like me, that isn't me, but it's like, it's so unapologetically just everything. Like, you can't say Panic at the Disco is a rock band or that they are an indie band or that they are an electronic band or whatever. They pull influences from everything and everywhere. And they're just, they're able to be like just in the truest of sense, they're able to be, or I should say Brandon is able to be an artist and just create whatever vibe he feels is a great vehicle for, for a specific song he can, and he gets to, and I don't think that there's a lot of artists out there currently who are able to really kind of do that. I think Pink is one of the the last few I can think of uh, that is able to kind of be a pop star, but still have credibility as a musician and, and get to write all kinds of different stuff. See, even the stuff she's doing with Dallas Green and the you, you and me that it's like, I don't feel like I feel like that's the problem is I feel like everyone feels like they have to be them. They have, well, we are day seekers, so we have to yeah, be day seeker, yeah. whatever day seeker is. And you kind of touched on it earlier. Maybe that's, that's kind of the thing is I feel like that song is maybe an example of where you could go moving forward. Um, that that yeah. song, having done it, having it do so well and, and be such a standout point on the, on a record full of interesting songs that I think it, it, it makes me kind of go like, all right, well, now where do you go with that? Where where does that allow you to go moving forward as a, as a creative and as an artist? And that's what gets me excited about a song like that being a single and, and for people to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know. Yeah, because I don't feel like it's like a crazy left field thing, but it is. There is something that's more. It's a little different about that one, but you know, just hoping people 
embrace it as they seem to have, to have with most of the singles. But uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I mean, you see little comments, people like, "Where's the <laughs> breakdowns and the screaming?" But it's just, you know, I think I just don't want to be a band that writes the same record like ten times over, you know. And um, I'm always just like, you can always listen to our old stuff if you if you <laughs> hear like screaming or, or heavy music you know but uh i, I have high hopes I, I hope people will you know enjoy the record when it's out i'm very much looking forward to it. i was so bummed because i was supposed to go see you guys when you were here and uh hang out with telly because he's been on the show a couple of times but unfortunately i had to work that night so my wife and a friend of ours ended up going but hopefully next time you'll play on a day I can, uh further plan ahead and, and uh, actually get to see you guys. Cause it's been, it's been a while. Yeah, dude. Um, if you want to, if you want to come to, is, is Detroit like the closest to you? Detroit would be, that's still like two and a half hours. Usually the, the running joke that I have with some people is, uh, cause Fort Wayne is the same distance for me here in Grand Rapids as it is to Detroit. But I joked uh, with some people, I go, I'd usually prefer to go to Fort Wayne because, A, no one knows anyone in Fort Wayne. <laughs> the only people I have to deal with, like if it's like friends coming through on a tour, the only people I have to deal with, and I usually always get trumped by, is Sweetwater because <laughs> oh, okay. that's where they are. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, beyond that, it's like, you know, Pierre's is there. There's like, uh, there's the, I think it's called the Clyde Theater where uh, Sweetwater's dumped in like a million or so dollars into renovating an old like opera house or something. So oh. it's super nice. Like I saw Beartooth and Siler and Knock Loose when that tour uh, was like one of the first to go through. Um, but yeah, Fort Wayne is usually if a tour is going to Fort Wayne, it's usually more doable because it's also cheaper to stay in Fort Wayne than it is Detroit. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, um, yeah. We'll have to keep you in the loop. I don't know what our guest list situation is like, you know, but I can try and help you out if you, if you have an interest in going. Yeah, absolutely. It would be great to, like I said, hear these new songs and, uh, I know I'm very excited for everyone to see it and to see how the expansion and, and growth and evolution of Dayseeker goes from here. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Rory again of Dayseeker. The album Dark Sun comes out November 4th. Uh, I really hope you take the time to check it out. I really also hope that you take the time to really let it take you in. Um I think that's the thing when we listen to records nowadays is we're so we're so quick to just get through something because oh it's the new thing you know I thought it was funny today as of when I'm recording this everyone's like well, what does everyone think of the new Slipknot record I know I know I know it came out this past Friday but it's like I feel like I don't have time to listen to it in full so therefore I'm not going to shortchange the my first experience with something by just rushing to get through it just so I can say I listened to it. And I think that was the thing that as I look back on this Dayseeker record, you know, I only listened to it the one time. And granted, there was a couple songs I definitely went back and just kept listening to on repeat. But it was one of those things where I think because I gave it the time it needed to, 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 to let me kind of let it take me in or me take it in. I, and that's the thing. I, I don't I don't really know... I don't know what which it is. I don't know if I took in the record or if the record really took me in. And I know that sounds really weird to say it like that, but I, I really do think because of the things I went through, I think the record took me in. And I think I just kind of got lost in it. And for that, I, I, I really hope people give it the same time to really take it in. 
to really let what Rory's saying come through to you because I do feel that this is a record that's going to help so many people deal with the tragedies and losses that they've experienced in their lives, no matter how far removed from it you may be or how fresh you are in it. I do also hope, and I didn't really ask this question, although I wanted to, I just didn't know a good way to ask this. I could see potentially this record being something where maybe there gets to be a point where Rory doesn't want to play any of the songs off of this because it is sort of a reminder of like one of the worst things that kind of happened in your life. And how often can you dwell in that? How often can you kind of revisit that or find your way through it? And and I guess maybe there is a sense of after like, you know, he's, he's removed from it at this point. It's been over a year since his dad passed and, and all those things. But I mean, I know how I feel with the people that I've lost and you don't, you don't, I say this all the time to people, actually, it's like the, the pain never goes away, but instead of feeling sad, eventually you just kind of are left with things that make you smile and make you not feel so empty and alone when when you are dealing with these losses of, of friends and family and so forth. But it is still one of those things where I don't actively listen to or engage in things that will remind me of these people because I also don't want to be dwelling in the negative. And I even struggle even saying if it's negative, but I just don't want to wallow in <laughs> in that. I don't want to just constantly be in that headspace because it's it's taxing and it's a lot. So I can only imagine what it would be like for Rory and, and, and the Dayseeker camp to kind of have to constantly relive this album and those experiences. I think it would be very hard. So I'd be interested to see how much of this album, once the next you know album, whenever that gets you know written and recorded and all that, if we'll start seeing maybe only Neon Grave being the one song that you know lives on beyond this, or if they just kind of don't play some of this stuff at all. I mean, look at someone like Jonathan Davis from Korn. You know, he up until very recently did not play Daddy for decades. It existed on the record and that was it. You didn't see it live. And there are some, and that is definitely also a song where seeing it live, I didn't feel like I needed to see it live because it's it's very emotional. It's very, so fucking heavy. Um, and I know it is a cathartic release for a lot of people to, to hear that song and what it did for them, but... Man, that was one uh, that was very hard uh, to watch live. And I feel like that would be the hard thing at times with this too is um, possibly knowing for the artist that the pain it is to go through and, and kind of keep rehashing this old wound time and time again. All of that said, I don't want to keep rehashing the same things I've been saying. Um, so let's start wrapping up this episode. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Dayseeker, you can find them at Dayseeker on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you could just go to dayseeker.band and keep up with all the latest going-ons with the band itself. Uh, I want to thank Rory again for taking the time and the honesty uh, with which you know we talked about some pretty heavy shit. If you'd like to keep up with Rory, you can find him at Rory Spencer on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, obviously, no news on if a new Hurt Wave album is coming out or anything like that, but just obviously follow him on the socials, and you will be obviously filled in when new things are abreast. And you can follow us on all the socials, simple enough, at Bruce Speak Pod. You can go to BrutallySpeaking at Gmail and leave me an email. Uh, recommend some guests. Uh, tell me how you feel about some of the episodes. Let's keep the conversation and dialogue going. Same with on the socials. Comment. Uh, I think, you know, I mentioned uh, in the last episode, someone commenting about uh, us having local sumo. 
And I was like, sure, I guess. I didn't know it was a thing until literally I walked upon it and it was a thing. Um, so I think that's kind of the fun thing of uh, my socials is sometimes, you know, I'll just go around and I will be doing things. And I also sometimes hope and encourage you to, to go check out different stuff uh, in your own city, town, whatever, because uh, you never know what random occurrences may happen that you will stumble across. Um, I definitely now am, am a little bit more interested to see what, uh, what local sumo <laughs> events are <laughs> happening around in our area. Um, it was, it was interesting. A lot of, a lot of good, uh, good times watching that uh, this past weekend. And, uh, f- also speaking of good times, uh, if you can support our podcast sponsors, that would be greatly appreciated as they help us uh, pay our bills, keep the lights on, so to speak. Uh, rockabilly.com go over there tons and tons of merch over 500,000 items and they create items too they just did the uh, Minnesota fair and uh, created some wild looking tees that I was kind of jealous of Um, but they do so much so many items so many different things there's going to be something that you definitely will want save some money at checkout use our code brutally at checkout take 10% off your total purchase order Please don't buy the the Poison the Well joggers, though. I am in the midst of buying those myself, and I want them, so please don't buy them so I'm not sad and don't have these Poison the Well joggers from, like, 2004 or six somewhere in there. On Point Palm Made, keep your beard and hair looking on point, especially with the holidays fast approaching. Uh, use our code BSP15 at checkout. Take 15% off your total purchase order. And last but not least, The Bean Bastard. Go to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some delicious coffee, handmade soaps, candles... Uh, If you go to the brick-and-mortar store in Buffalo, New York, you will have awesome food, delicious coffee, an ambiance you can't create anywhere else. Uh, So support the guys and gals uh, for all that they do uh, in their local Buffalo, New York area. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and full transparency, uh, I have a handful of shows that I am in the process of getting ready to record, but I don't know which one I'm going to post. So I'm not going to tease who the guest is, but... There's a couple coming up, and they should be good, and I'm looking forward to it. So until next time, I will see you all then.